welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 127 for Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Ken Gagne. When I named this podcast eight years ago this month, I was aware that it had the potential to be misinterpreted. Polygamer. You look at it, the way it's spelled, could be polygamer. Or even if you do pronounce it correctly, polygamer, I've had people say, oh, it must be about polyamory, or Ken must be polyamorous. Neither of those things is true, but there are places where polyamory and video games intersect. And that is not something we have covered in the eight years of this podcast until today. I am pleased to welcome to the show, Helene Utterback. Hello, Helene. Hi, Ken. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. So for our listeners, you and I have been friends for about six years. Is that correct? Yes, I would say that's about right. (laughs) So we met in grad school and we often play video games. And it occurred to me as we were playing Mario Kart the other night that you have an insight and experience in a topic that has not yet been covered on Polygamer. And that topic being polyamory. I've read some books about it. I've listened to some podcasts about it, but I haven't lived the lifestyle and I I think that for some of our listeners, they may not even know what I'm talking about yet, because even 10 years ago, this may have been a new concept for me as well. So let's start with 101. Helene, I understand that if I ask 100 people what polyamory is, I'll get 100 different answers. I'm not asking you to represent everybody. But in your experience, what is polyamory? Yeah, I think that answer would differ even just amongst the people I know. Um, So I mean, polyamory can represent anything from open relationships to ethical non-monogamy to like dating many multiple people to being not necessarily legally married, but like romantically married to more than one person in like a commitment ceremony context. Um, For me, that just means like I have a lot of love to give and I'm not afraid to just to have that outside of the monogamous context. So it means that you are able to date multiple people and this is all transparent among those people. So we're not talking about cheating. No, you can cheat in polyamory. Sometimes people are like, oh, polyamory is just a way to get away with cheating. Nah, if you don't tell your partner things, it's still bad. If you don't tell your partner stuff straight up, that's not still not good, even in polyamory. There are people who practice basically like a don't, like a don't ask, don't tell in polyamory, but for a lot of people, that's kind of frowned upon. Um, but yeah, no, all of my partners know about other partners and know about like the general gist. Like, obviously, I don't get into all the details of like my like, intimate conversations with those other people because being respectful of your individual relationships are important, but they all know each other. A lot of them are friends with each other. Um, I live with my fiance and her boyfriend. And so in that context, I live with someone I don't date, but dates my partner, who's basically like my best friend. You mentioned some other terms that this is similar to, but different from open relationships and ethical non-monogamy. Can you tell me what those things are and how they're different from polyamory? So they both kind of exist under the bigger bubble, like the way that like bisexual can be a term for a lot of other terms under that umbrella, like pansexual, etc. These things tend to exist under it, but open relationships tend specifically to refer to one primary relationship, like two people who are like 
dating, married, whatever, um, who tend to sleep outside of their relationship, who tend to have sexual relationships with other people outside of their relationship. Um, and then ethical non-monogamy um, can really kind of can be polyamory as a broader context, depending on how you define it. Um, some people don't identify as polyamorous if they are practicing ethical non-monogamy. Some people do. Um, some people just use it as a term for like dating casually many people. I actually have a friend who wouldn't call herself polyamorous necessarily, but she says she practices ethical non-monogamy. And that's because she has about four casual partners, none of whom live with her, none of whom she calls by like any particular, like um, there can be like a primary and secondary in certain people's relationships. That's also like a controversial discussion in the polyamorous community, but she just doesn't give anybody labels. They're just all people she sees. So you said that in an open relationship, there may be multiple sexual partners. Is that also true in polyamory? Yes, but it also can be true that you just have multiple romantic partners. So um, if you date people who are asexual or like you can be asexual and polyamorous, um, those are all things that can interact. You can be aromantic and polyamorous. Um, because basically in polyamory, you're able to build relationships in the way that makes the most sense for you outside of necessarily what's a societally accepted standpoint. So I have dated asexual people where like we didn't, we didn't have sex at all when we dated. We went on dates. We had a great time. We had some romantic feelings for each other, but we didn't sleep together. How did you become aware that this lifestyle is a valid choice? Because I was raised in a traditional conservative Catholic upbringing, and I had never heard of polyamory in high school, in college, and not until many years after college. And when I first heard it, there was some natural resistance to the idea, uh, some natural inclination to say, that's wrong. Uh, I have very easily overcome that when I've seen how wonderful it works for the people who practice it. But nonetheless, my point being, it seems to be sort of a, a subculture that not many people are aware of. So how were you introduced to it? So I, similarly to you, I was raised in a conservative Republican, like religious family. Um, so I'm the only, I'm the only person on my dad's side who is openly queer even. Um, but my dad's like the most supportive about it. But how I kind of was first introduced to like polyamory in like a healthy context outside of like media um, was I worked for a shadow cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show when I lived in Boston, actually right around the time that I met you. Um, every Saturday night, I would be in the working props on the shadow cast and I would get to meet people who had these healthy polyamorous dynamics, people who were married, but had a partner on the cast, people who were dating like two or three cast members. Um, and that exposed me to being like, oh, this is possible. And then I spent some time like ruminating on it and realizing that that was something that I had wanted all along. Can you elaborate on that? How did you know you wanted it when you didn't even know it existed? So I feel like society teaches us when we're in like a monogamous relationship, it's like super weird to even like have a crush on someone else. Like someone else, like you can't even think someone else is cute and tell your partner about it. Uh, this gets even weirder if you are a pansexual person, like if you are in the bi plus sphere, because sometimes if you are in a hetero presenting relationship, 
um, with straight men, to be honest, uh, they can make it kind of weird where they're like, nah, it's cool. We can check out girls together. It's not what I'm talking about as far as like, it's cool to nerd out about your crushes together. Like, not here for that. Um, but in monogamous relationships, it always felt like that, like, you know, the one and only, right? Like, and I think people are cute and sometimes I want to make out with their faces. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. When you phrase it like that, is that either objectifying or sexualizing other people? Um, I mean, so I would say that like oftentimes people who are doing can do that in an unhealthy way where they do objectify and like over sexualize people but honestly usually the people that i have crushes on are people that i'm friends with so usually it's like personality traits i get a big crush on um where i'm like wow that person like makes really good cookies and seems to be like super passionate about the environment man i hope we end up at a party together (laughs) (laughs) And and does finding other people attractive and wanting to act on that, does, you know, I apologize that I'm asking sort of loaded questions, but I think these are the questions that people who have never heard of polyamory might have. Does that imply a deficiency in your primary relationship that you need to fill? Not at all. Um, I have a very full life with my fiance. Um, and honestly, it shouldn't be one person's job to fill every space in your life that feels... So I understand that that's a big part of monogamous culture, but it feels really unhealthy to me. Uh, so I'm a person with... I like to call myself a lot. Um, I'm like a lot for one person to handle, not just like, you know, in like the making out ways, but also just like emotionally. Putting all of my emotional work on one person, I feel like that's not fair to that person. And even that person and my therapist, I'm like... I am sorry that you poor souls have to hear all all the crazy stuff. Um, And so, you know, having these deep emotional connections with other people in different ways really, like, allows me to kind of share who I am more and be myself everywhere. Does that make sense? I think so. But when you see, you know, let's flip this to the other side. When you see your partner seeking to have their needs met in ways that you can't provide how does that make you feel um well honestly my skill sets don't always live in the ways that my partner needs me um so and i see this a lot in my own house right because i do live in a polyamorous household um and so there are ways in which like my fiance's boyfriend supports her that I cannot. And there are ways that I support her that he cannot. And honestly, even though we are metamors, we do not date, we support each other when our sweet introvert partner needs some alone time by going and playing video games and leaving her alone. Um, So, you know, there are just all these ways of giving people the things they need, whether it's like you need a like attention and your partner's at work. And like the nice thing about polyamory means that there's probably someone around to talk to if you like are like, wow, my boss is being such a big jerk and I really need someone to vent to. But I know that my I know that my fiance is in a meeting with like seven children because she is a, a teacher. I guess meeting's not the right word, but like you can't exactly call her up in the middle of the school day and be like, oh, my gosh this thing my boss said she's not going to answer because that's how a child gets runs off right like now you used a word there that needs some definition what is a metamor so metamor literally means the love of my love um so like classical polyamory terms 
Like, Kat would, that's my fiance. She would be considered my paramour. She is my partner. And her boyfriend would be considered my metamor. He is my partner's partner. Got it. Okay. So someone I don't date, but is in basically my constellation of my polyamory life. Like if I drew a chart of me and all the people I dated and all the people that they dated, he would be in that chart, but not directly connected to me. And that constellation I've also heard referred to as a polycule. Yes. Yes. So um, uh, in my case, because of the diversity of my relationships, I generally refer to my polycule as my immediate household, um, which is called a V because it is two people who date one person, but do not date each other. Um, And they are the people that I make life decisions with, right? We are like choosing where to go on our future path together because we all cohabitate. We want to parent together one day, those sort of kind of life goals. So when you see somebody else meeting your partner's needs, the response, whether this is natural or something taught to us by society, I think in many cases is jealousy. Do you ever feel jealousy? And if so, how do you get over it? I think that especially initially, um, before I had like taken some time to kind of figure out where my jealousy was coming from, that definitely would happen to me. I would be like, oh my gosh, why can't I do this thing for my partner? But now it like generally tends to give me a sense of reassurance that like, this isn't the right role for me, but someone can do this for my partner. And so that she has support wherever she goes. Like, um, but working through jealousy was like a big part of like entering into polyamory and it's always an ongoing process right like sometimes things are going to strike you and you're like oh i didn't know that i didn't love that i can't do that thing um but working on things like a sense of secure attachment where like i think that jealousy often comes from a sense of like oh if this person can do this for my partner then maybe my partner doesn't need me Um, And I think that especially in like a monogamous society, that's like super understandable because that's often what that leads to, right? Like, say I'm like never home there for my partner in a monogamous relationship. That means that they leave me for someone else who can be there. But polyamory, if I'm say like someone's like kind of like less serious partner where we see each other more casually right we've like we know that that's our relationship and then they can have someone else who supports them in those other ways they need and it's okay um but i really really spent a lot of time working on having a sense of secure attachment rather than anxious attachment which is my natural default i'm a person with an anxiety disorder so like the world makes me anxious um and so honestly i think that everyone should work on their sense of attachment because it's really there's like a fine line in monogamy between like like loving each other and becoming codependent. And I think that like people who were with their partners during the pandemic especially saw this where like you spend so much time around each other that like sometimes these uh these new dynamics begin to form between the two of you. Um, like my partner and I did have to work through some codependency issues after we ended up spending like so much of our night times together. And we were like, oh, we can socialize independently now out of the house. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, I went to a Codependence Anonymous group for a few months, maybe 20 years ago to see if it was for me. It wasn't. But codependency, if I understand it, is the essentially inability to do something without your partner. Like You want them there to share every moment and every experience as opposed to being comfortable acting as an individual is that accurate 
Yeah, I would say that's totally accurate. And I would say that like, if you have codependent tendencies, then maybe polyamory isn't for you. Um, like just because if you know that your partner is out doing something with one of their other partners, and that is like making you deeply upset every time that you're not out there doing it with them, that's like maybe something to like work on within yourself or to just know that like polyamory is not for everyone. It takes a lot of work. Um, honestly, some people just don't have the logistical capacity to have multiple partners, right? Like we're busy people. And so it's kind of like, so whether some people think that polyamory is a choice and some people don't and, but either way, it's just, it's not for everyone. So when you say some people think it's a choice and some people don't, the people who don't, they think it is an, like an orientation. Yes. And I would probably consider myself within that boat. Like the minute that I discovered that polyamory was a like a lifestyle that I could engage in, I immediately felt better about the way I had felt about myself my whole life. Wow. Like, so what, what had you felt about yourself your entire life? You talked about wanting to make out with other people's faces, but I think it's, (laughs) I think it's more than just that though. It's more than just that. I build, you know this, you're friends with me. I tend to build really deep relationships with a lot of a lot of people, right? Like, I have a lot of friends. I'm exceedingly social. And when you have a monogamous partner who wants to spend all their time with you and tends to, like, make you their, their whole world, um, it can be really hard to, like, feel like oh, I'm going to go have a girl's night. No offense, like, but it's just like me and these these people that I've known for like 15 years. And we're going to like, I don't know, a Wizard Rock concert, which is not your thing. Um, and I have definitely had partners who've like felt like they needed to tag along anyway, because that's like the monogamous thing to do. You like go to your partner's things. Um, but like, if that's not your thing, that's not something I want you to do. I would rather us have quality time doing something we really love doing, like gardening or going out to eat at like a new pop-up or whatever. The first therapist I ever saw said that I had a unusually large social network and that most people, as they get older, their social network narrows and they focus on deeper relationships with fewer people. Uh, just because people get busy and their time becomes more limited. And in some ways that has been true for me, but I've also maintained, I think, an excessively an excessive number of people compared to other people in my demographic. And so I, I almost feel like what my therapist was predicting is more typical of a monogamous relationship where you have a lot of friends and then you find one person and you don't need anybody else anymore. And as you said, mm-hmm. that can put a lot of pressure on that one person to be all those things. And yet we see it happen. We, I know that the divorce rate is very high, but we also see people who meet one person, fall in love, get married, and spend the next 50 years together. Yeah. And that's the different lifestyles are right for different people, right? Um, but having that like many friendships kind of the way that you do or the way that I do is what's right for me. Um, I would be very sad if I couldn't spend as much time with my friends as I do because a partner felt the need to monopolize that time. I once asked a friend of mine, she was in a polyamorous marriage, and I asked her, what would happen if your husband decided to become monogamous and wanted you to do the same? She said, well, I would still be happy to spend the rest of my life with him, 
but not as happy as I am right now to be polyamorous. No, I think that's true for a lot of folks. So what sort of skills does it take to be polyamorous? Like I, I went to a poly 101 session a couple of years ago. This was just before the pandemic. It was an in-person session and they pointed out some skills and uh, both emotional and practical, but I'd like to hear from you. Like what should somebody who is going into a polyamorous relationship expect to have to learn? Communication, which like everyone should, I'm sure they told you this in poly 101 course, but like everyone should communicate anyway, but the amount in which you have to communicate in polyamory, because there's just more people involved, right? Like whether it's logistics, emotions, things like that, because like, especially depending on where you or a potential partner or a current partner are in your polyamorous journey, like how much you've been exposed to you can encounter some emotions you didn't expect to feel, right? Like sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I'm like so excited for you to have your night out. And then like when you're by yourself in the apartment, you're like, maybe I'm less okay than I will thought. Maybe I need to talk about this. <laughs> and stuff like that can really hit. And like, you want to be able to be in a space with your partners where you can communicate about that. Don't put the responsibility on them to like change their, what they're doing, but just let them know that like, oh, I could use a little extra support in like XYZ way after a date night with someone else. Or, you know, like I have this need, like some, some people in open relationships are like, please change the sheets, please take a shower, things like that. And then in like the polyamorous sphere, it can be like, Hey, can you like bring me leftovers from the date? So like I get a little bit of the feeling of going out, like, that's a big one in our house, um, which honestly, I just do whenever because usually I eat really good things. And then I'm like, oh, I bet that I bet that my metamor would love to eat this because the other day I had this burrito ramen when I was out and we're like super into ramen, me and him. And I was like, oh, I'm bringing the leftovers home. Nice. I mentioned to somebody, I was describing to them the polyamorous lifestyle and how important communication is. And they said that that is what they would find exhausting. So if they had, for example, two partners and they had a, a really crappy day, they don't want to have to relive that day by telling it to two different partners. They just want to go through that process once. So how how do you, how would you handle that situation? Well, I mean, depending on your, the dynamic of your relationships with those people, you may not need to share all the details of that whole interaction with both those people. If someone is someone that you're like very, very close and very, very involved in and knows all of the players in whatever bad thing happened in your day, that may be the right person to tell. And then the other person may just be the person to be like, man, I had a stinker of a day at work. If you could send me any dog memes, I would greatly appreciate it. Like, um, you know, to be able to have different relationships and to not necessarily feel like you're, they're all, they're all equal playing field in, in my particular case, right? Like, it's not necessarily like, um, my metamor nor I are more, we're not more, more important to my fiance in any way, but like the way that she would treat different scenarios would be different because like, I know this coworker better than my metamor does. So like she would tell me a story about ex coworker in a little more detail, but like they know people because they've been together four years longer than I have that I don't know. And so no offense, I don't have any input on tales from people that they know mm. from back when they lived in Massachusetts. Yeah. And I think that's true for any number of social interactions that even a monogamous person might have is that you don't treat everybody the same. Uh, the other night I was telling you about something that had been stressing me out and I took five to 10 minutes to tell you, Helene, 
And then two days later, I got on Zoom with a different friend of mine and I told them the same experience, but in a minute because they didn't need as many details and I didn't need to go into it with them because we had other things to talk about. Yeah, I think that polyamory and like learning that communication style and that way of bonding with people has made me more than just a better partner. It's made me a better friend to people. Um, it's helped me to grow closer with my friends by just like opening myself up to the opportunity of being able to see friends in a way as like platonic partners where like, I, this doesn't have to be a thing. I just tell this one person, whereas like in monogamous relationships, sometimes it feels like, oh, these stories are like only for your part. So let's say that somebody listening to this podcast is learning about this alternative lifestyle and they say, gosh, I think that's for me. How does one go about this? I like I read a book, for example, that said rather than just being a single individual, especially if you're a guy who wants to announce to the world, I'm now available to date multiple people. Sometimes it's better to be in a monogamous relationship and have a discussion with your partner about opening up the relationship in a polyamorous, transparent, ethical fashion. Are there is there a I, I know there's not any one way to do this, but is there a way that you recommend? Well, I could see why the book would say that because then you don't have to explicitly have the conversation every time if you're not seeing anyone of being like, and by the way, I'm polyamorous and I might date other people um, because like your partner is already there. Your partner is the explanation, right? Like, <laughs> um, I think that just um, being upfront with people, like being, don't, hide the fact that you are polyamorous is usually your best bet get it out as early like when you're dating someone get it out as early as possible you, otherwise that's how hurt feelings happen and like also as a polyamorous person i want to know if someone that i want to date can't handle like isn't doesn't want to try can't handle the fact that i have a fiance um the fact that i may see other people um and I want to know like how much they want to know about other aspects of my life too, um, and respect them in that manner. And so, uh, when it comes to like dating apps, like making sure you put it in your, your profile. Um, there are some dating apps that are better when you're a polyamorous person than others, like would recommend OkCupid, would not recommend plenty of fish. You can get banned from the platform. Um, so, you know, different things for different people, but also like, going to polyamorous mixers, which are a thing, if you live in a space that has those resources, which if you live in a rural place, that may not be accessible to you as much. But if you live in a big city like I do, um, I live in New York. So there is an organization called Open Love New York that hosts mixers, that hosts polyamorous movie nights, where basically they are movies that are either created by polyamorous folks or about polyamory in a way that is healthy depiction of the lifestyle, whereas media can sometimes be not so kind to polyamorous folks. So things like that are good ways to start to get into polyamory. And what about in those, what about for individuals who also identify as demisexual? Now, my understanding of that word is that sometimes it takes a really long time to warm up to somebody because you need to develop an emotional connection first. Is it possible to be demisexual and polyamorous yes and uh someone i date is and so um for that person i mean like as how some relationships in polyamory don't have any sex at all or don't have romance and just have sex right for demisexual people 
sexual attraction is formed after romantic attraction forms. And so for those people, they would form their relationship with you the way that is comfortable for them. But also they are aware that like you may be sleeping with other people and it doesn't have anything to do with what the two of you have. So did that help? It does. Thank you. By the way, for what it's worth, at that Poly 101 I went to, they basically said the same thing as you, that communication is the most important thing, but they phrased it in a different way, perhaps for comedic effect. They said the two things you need to be really good at to be polyamorous are calendars and apologies. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Yes. Uh, there's a running joke about Google calendars and polyamory. Like if you ever join like a polyamorous meme group, it's like a whole lot of stuff about Google calendar. <laughs> Ironically, I am the only person in my like anyone I date who uses Google Calendar so you know so how do you coordinate schedules among each other because uh most of the other people that I see actually are people who are a little more long distance uh it's generally not a big problem like trying to come up with a weekly schedule and then um I live with my my immediate polycule and so we actually sit down and we have like a like a polycule meeting every week to talk about schedules just for like life stuff in general but it's also when it's like all right this is a really good night for helene and cat to go on a date night and this is a really good night for cat and ben to go on a date night and this is when somebody has the house to themselves congratulations If I may ask, why don't more people in your polycule use Google Calendar? Because they are more paper-based than I am. I know. I know. Um, If you know me at all, you know I really love digital organization. But um, my fiancé uses a paper planner. Uh, Yeah, and other people I see just, yeah, they just use other calendar apps. They have like an Apple calendar or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. I was wondering if it was more a matter of format or if it was a matter of integration with each other, because I was in a relationship where my partner and I did a lot of things together. And every time we did, I would have to send them a calendar invitation from my calendar to put on to their calendar. And I suggested, you know, this would be a lot easier if we just shared a calendar. We still have our own separate calendars, but then we would also have a joint calendar. And they said, no, I do not want to do that. And so for some people in some relationships, integrating their finances is a very sensitive topic. For this person, integrating schedules was a sensitive topic. And ultimately, it implied a lack of other kinds of integration as well. And so that's one of the reasons I was asking. In your case, though, it's just a matter of preferring analog to digital. Yeah. And when you live in a house with three people of various neurodivergencies, any change in pattern or routine can be a little difficult. So trying to get other people on board of Google Calendar who don't use it organically wasn't going to be something that worked and isn't something that I want to like pressure people into when we're already living very busy lives. So we have our weekly meeting most weeks when we're not too busy. And, you know, we have our, our regular group chat of like the three that live in a house together. And that helps keep us, keep us pretty on track. So I have so many more questions about polyamory. We could do multiple podcasts about this topic, and there are people who do that. Uh, I believe that there is the Multiamory podcast, also the book Opening Up. These are some of the resources I've encountered. I also once went to a sci-fi and fantasy convention in Boston called Aresia, and I saw a button there 
that says, I am against polyamory. It should be either multi-amory or polyphilia. Otherwise, you're just mixing roots. <laughs> there are some objections to this lifestyle, and that one I can almost understand. But I want to bring this back to polygamer, and we've covered the first half, poly. Let's talk about the gamer aspect. There have been a lot of video games, anything from Mass Effect to smaller indie games like Arcade Spirits that allow you to romance partners. Stardew Valley is another one. I often see these games as limiting your options to a single partner. I don't see a lot of polyamory in video games. Is that your experience as well? That's very true. Um, yeah, oftentimes, like, there is, like, a warning when you reach a certain romance level with a character where you're like, this person is going to get mad if you date other people. Um, that's how the Persona series works. Um, at Stardew Valley, that's how it works now. Um, actually, uh, I actually recently found out that when Stardew Valley first came out, um, as long as you didn't try to marry more than one person, it didn't care how many people you dated. But now, actually, um, if you are dating, like, two many people they will all gang up on you and get mad at you and dump you apparently um but in the way that i have found more polyamory in video games is actually through like mods um so stardew valley does have a million mods to it as i'm sure you know um and several of those allow you to create like multiple spouse households um, where it's basically like a V-style polyamory where like you live with both your spouses. There's like an extra bedroom built onto the house and you can live your your polyamorous uh, homestead life, which is like very relatable to my dreams. <laughs> so I live in a family. I'm my current polycule. We're very into like gardening and like sustainability and things like that. And so, you know, we uh, they they have a co-op start your game together and we've talked about eventually when we all have a little more free time doing like a three-person stardew valley co-op also yeah if you don't have enough people for a DD party because there's a running joke of like uh the goal in polyamory is to get enough people for a full DD party you probably have enough people for uh to take up all the houses in stardew valley co-op you said i'm sure you're aware Ken, that there are so many mods to a degree i am but I am primarily a console gamer. I grew up in an Apple household, and there was a time when Apples couldn't play the latest games. And although they can now, I just never developed that habit. So I'm a console gamer. Those games are much harder to mod, especially in whatever yes. the current generation is. But So you're saying that on PCs and Macs, it's much easier for the fan community to modify a game to add these elements that the original developers did not intend. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in games that are a little more, little less plot based, like that are, have a little bit more of like a free open world-ish style, that's easier to do, obviously. Um, the Sims also does this really well. Um, Sims 4 actually as a game is doing pretty good things in the polyamory sphere. They're still working on the gender thing, which is a non-binary person that could go on for days. But um, they, in the eco-lifestyle expansion, they created a free love community plan that you can get your community to vote on. Um, and so if your community votes on it and it becomes like the law of the land, then basically partners that do not get jealous if you are like making out sleeping with someone else in front of them whereas in generally in the sims like if you're sleeping if you're stepping out on your husband they're gonna walk in and be like what the f uh, like but like in the sim way so like you know some simlish 
but now they're just like, that seems legit. I'm just going to go back to my glass of wine now. Have a good time, y'all. Huh. Um, so that's pretty chill. And that requires no modifications at all. Um, you have to have the, I believe you have to have the eco lifestyle expansion, um, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but actually they are, they just can't announced yesterday, um, that they are creating a, um, like an expansion that's going out to everyone where with the release of the expansion of the high school lives pack, um, you will be able to choose sexual and romantic orientation for your characters, including making them asexual and aromantic. So I think that that will create a lot more options for how to depict relationships, especially if you have that free love um, community plan on. Now, I don't know if I'm talking about video games or real life, but as somebody who is both asexual and aromantic going to be in a polyamorous relationship? Probably not. You would probably not have both of those settings on. You would probably have one of those settings on. Um, there are people who have platonic life partners. And so technically, if you had multiple platonic life partners, that would be a form of polyamory. Like, say that you build a co-op of all platonic people together. Um, that's st- still technically polyamory, I think. Sure, because people who are asexual and, or- and aromantic still have emotions and need for connection. Yes, and they still have relationships, just platonic ones. So we talked about The Sims, and we talked about Stardew Valley. You mentioned Persona, and in my superficial research, I found a list of games that have polyamory, and I saw Persona 5 on that list. Have you played that game in that series? I've not, That's the only one I haven't played. So my experience from Persona is from Personas 3 and 4, which I grew up on. In high school, I did hear that there is some polyamory in Persona 5, which I'm really happy to see. Because in Persona 3 and 4, the minute that you initiate a relationship with any of the girls, uh, past like a certain extent. So basically, when you reach like, it's like social link six or seven, um, it will sit like you make choices about whether you want to take this down a platonic or a romantic path. And it will be like, this character will now be mad if you date other girls. And there is like various points in the game where like, a big cutscene will break out and these girls will be like, why is she also trying to give you a Valentine's Day gift, dude? I did not know about this. I have found that in some games, and I haven't played many like these, so Wall Street Kid, which is way back on the 8-bit Nintendo, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball on Xbox, that sometimes partners in a game are more like virtual pets. You just need to spend time with them to make them to keep them happy, give them gifts every now and then, and that's sufficient. I know that romance and games has evolved a lot beyond that, but sometimes it's still just about spending time with people to keep them happy. And do you think that's a reason why we haven't seen more polyamory in games is because the relationships are not complex and there's only so much time in a game? Um, I could see that being a little bit of it. Um, also, polyamory presents itself in so many different forms and varieties um, that like, it could be hard to find that representation but i think especially in games with slightly more linear plots it would be very doable um games that don't have quite as many romantic options um that it could be very possible to put more polyamory in video games than we currently see and i would like to see it (laughs) so if it is so easy why don't we do it polyamory is kind of controversial a lot right like it is still very stigmatized in a lot of places um and so 
you know, I don't imagine that the market may not always present itself to be there as loudly as other markets, especially since like polyamorous people live in the closet sometimes too, right? Like some people are very quietly polyamorous. Like they aren't necessarily shouting it from the rooftops, which I understand, but also I'm bummed for them. And so I could see that being a reason um, also because of the nature of the video game community not being as diverse as it could be development-wise. Um, it may just be that there aren't polyamorous people on staff to advocate for that representation, to write that representation. Um, just like any other kind of diversity, uh, if you don't have the people there to remind you it exists, sometimes it can be really hard to find. And also to be able to do it right, because there are a lot of wrong ways to do polyamorous representation which, you know, TV and movies will tell you a lot. <laughs> and uh, if you want to do it right, you should have someone on staff some to consult with you. As far as diversity and development, I can see what you mean about not everybody necessarily being out. Even if they are, like me, for example, uh, a straight cis individual, I try to keep my personal romances out of the workplace. Like my coworkers don't know if I'm dating or who I'm dating. Because there's just no overlap. Now, granted, I don't work in game development, but it would be asking a lot for a person to go into their office and tell their manager, hey, I date multiple people. I can speak to that in our next video game. Because for me, that erodes a barrier I've purposely erected between different halves of my life. Yeah. And I would say uniquely to polyamory is unfortunately that some people hear the word polyamory and they immediately think threesome. And so sometimes by opening yourself up and letting people know that you're polyamorous, they immediately think that like, oh, it's that you and your partner bring a third person to the bedroom and that's it. And so sometimes that can open you up to various kinds of workplace harassment or getting hit on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so if that is something that you can't feel safe about in your workplace, like sure as fuck wouldn't be bringing it up. And when you say threesome, that is you know, having threesomes is totally valid. And some polyamorous individuals do that, I presume. Yes, myself included. But what you're talking about is people who think that there are these two people who are just looking to share themselves with a rando third and that right. and people might say i want a piece of that yes so i i'm pansexual um i i date the span of genders um and my fiance is a woman and if people don't know my other partners they see that a pansexual woman is polyamorous and they're like oh, I can be the dude in that bed. And it's just, it's very uncomfortable. And it's something that you have to like, you know the people that you're opening yourself up to to figure out whether you can be open without having to put up with that kind of behavior. Is it possible that if we had more polyamory in games, some of the dramatic tension of storytelling would be eliminated? Yes. For example, in the television series Riverdale, which is based on the Archie comics. And I have never seen the show, but I've been reading Archie comics since I was a kid. And there's always the question of Betty or Veronica, which one is Archie going to end up with? And I just read an article recently that said, why not both? And if they did that, then that eliminates this age old question. Now we have an answer and we can move on. And that is sort of anticlimactic in a way. 
Yes, I hate to break it to you, but if um if polyamory becomes exceedingly mainstream in media, we're gonna have to get a lot more imaginative with our rom coms. No more love triangles. Um quite frankly it's just not gonna work (laughs) um i'm actually so we love watching like christmas rom-coms like whenever there are new holiday season rom-coms um we we love to watch like all of them all three of us um and yeah half the time it's like polyamory would have solved that polyamory would have solved that (laughs) but i imagine polyamory also presents its own challenges as we were discussing with communication calendars and apologies now granted i don't necessarily need to see uh, a weekly drama that consists of everybody sitting down on sunday nights and aligning their schedules but there are other challenges with polyamory right i mean like there are definitely ways to even getting that representation out there to people who don't see it right where you see some of the tension of like you know, a married couple and someone's going out on a date with a new person for the first time and the other person's like having a night at home, but like maybe their mind's there and finding finding their own confidence in themselves. Like, I don't know, I guess I just decided to write a movie here. But like things like that. There are polyamorous people have problems just like monogamous people do. We have tensions in our relationships. They just present themselves in different ways because we don't always have that tension of being like oh, like, the person I'm dating really likes, you know, Tim, and they're going to run off at the end of the movie together. Well, brainstorm with me here. Let's say you have a sci-fi adventure RPG game, and you can romance a member of your crew. Right now, with monogamous relationships, you have to choose just one, and you get to see how that plays out. And the developers want you to play the game multiple times to see how each romance plays out. So there's replay value there. If you can just choose all the romances, your first playthrough, then what's your incentive to go back and play again? Because you've already seen all the storylines and all the dialogue. Um, But what if you date only part of the people and some of those people are friends and some of those people are dating each other and you don't get to see all of the interactions and the intricacies of those beautiful relationships unless you pick the right combination of people to date? Um, then there's replayability there, right? Like say that you are dating two people on a ship, but like they live together, but you're dating them separately. But sometimes you guys all go out to dinner. And so you get to see like the cute intricacies of like their domestic life together, um, that you wouldn't get to see otherwise because they were unavailable in a monogamous plotline because they're married to each other or whatever. Things like that could add replayability. Sure. And I can see that now. For example, if you have six partners to choose from and you have to be monogamous, then that's six storylines. But if you have six to choose from and you can choose any combination, like let's say you choose two. Well, which two? If there are six people, that might be, if my math is anywhere near correct, which it may not be, as many as 720 different combinations. And that's a lot of replay value right there. Exactly. Exactly. It can. It could add a lot because life is full of complexity and nuance. And also, if you wanted to, like, make it so that you can't date everybody, because just because you're polyamorous doesn't mean everyone else is, you can have limiting factors, right? Some people may not want to date you, just like as, uh, like, when you're trying to romance someone of the same gender, not everyone is gay. <laughs> like, um, and so you can have limiting factors like that if you want to not have to write 720 
like different plotline scenes in your game. And you could also have limiting factors with the fact that you can only connect to X amount of people over the course of a year or the, whatever the timeline of the game is. Um, you can only build so many deep relationships because just like being polysaturated, which is the word for when you are like at the maximum capacity of people you can date, then you, you can't spread yourself any thinner or you're not going to get to see the, how, where the relationships with those other people get to go. Also, developers have limited time, just like any monogamous or polyamorous person does. If they are challenged to write six storylines for monogamous individuals, the challenge to write 720 polyamorous relationships is going to be even greater. That is very true. And there are probably other ways of like narrowing that number down. Still, I can see that some types of gamers would just see this as Achievements unlocked and getting high scores. I've romanced all the people all at once. I'm awesome. And it's not yeah. about conquest. That's not what polyamory is about. Nope. But uh, yeah, that attitude definitely comes your way sometimes, for sure. And that happens even in monogamy. People will romance everybody one after the other just in order to get everything that they can out of a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said one reason why we don't see more polyamory in games and in society and in culture is because it is stigmatized. And you talked about how people might misunderstand it to mean a threesome. Are there other cultural misperceptions about polyamory? Or if there are no misconceptions, then why would people be against it? I think a lot of it is fear of the unknown. Um, But like, Cultural misconceptions. Um, so I, I live in a polyamorous household, but it is not what you primarily, if you're a person that hears the word polyamory in media, media, what you probably think of is either a threesome or a triad, right? Like three people who date each other. Sometimes people call this a thruple. I don't love that word. I love the word play, but I don't love that word. Um, uh, but I actually live in a house that could look like that to an outsider. We're all very affectionate with each other, right? Like, I, my metamor is one of my very best friends, um, but we're actually a V. And so that would be a common misconception. The amount of times that people think that I am my metamor's partner instead of my fiance is a lot. <laughs> Um, so that's a common one. Um, I think that for people in monogamous relationships, the, there's just like, again, that like fear of like someone running off with your partner can be there, right? Like, just like why people don't always have open relationships because like sex can lead to lots of emotions and people don't all, people worry that like, oh, you're going to do much more than just sleep with someone else. You're going to, you know get married and start a new family with someone else or whatever kind of um, insecurity that like, depending on your partner, you know, maybe completely valid. If your partner has a history of like trust issues and not being open with you, then that may be a valid thing to be concerned about. Um, And so, you know, those kind of like fears. And also there have been really bad representations of polyamory, like polygamy. She doesn't get a good rap, including in the polyamorous community, just so we're clear. We're not like, ah, yes, the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, they're doing great work. No. Um, So, uh, you know, those kind of like 
I think that's some of the things that come to mind when people think about polyamory is like child brides and like one guy with like 70 wives. And like, there are all these other negative things that have happened that people picture before thinking of a healthy polyamorous relationship because they don't see a healthy polyamorous relationship because people are less open about it. Does that help? It does. There are people out there who are very quick to judge and lack curiosity. I once mentioned the polyamorous lifestyle to three people I was having dinner with, and two of them, I don't know if they'd heard of it before, but they just sort of just shrugged and said, they're adults, as long as they're not hurting anybody, who cares? And the third person immediately said that he found that concept appalling and that those people clearly don't care about other people's emotions or sexual health. It was clear that he was not open to correction on that point, which I could have very easily offered, but I imagine you could as well. I would say that uh, as far as the sexual health point, polyamorous people are more likely to get texted than our monogamous partners because we know that the people that we are sleeping with may be sleeping with other people. So, you know, we're getting that like every three month test and telling all of our partners the results, right? Honestly, like that, that provides a really good sense of security for a lot of people to be able to have that in hand and know that regardless of everything, like your partner is keeping themselves safe and is keeping you safe. And the same thing goes with emotions. I think that we take even more time to hone in on what our partners really need, especially in some of those um, very intense, very deep relationships, because we know that there is more room for insecurity and jealousy to fester. Um, and we want to make sure our partners are happy, right? Like, I don't think anybody is doing this stuff to try to hurt their partner. No one is going out there and being like, ah, I'm going to go on a date because my girlfriend would hate it. Like, no, that's not, that's not what we're doing, right? It's all part of the communication that is paramount to being polyamorous. Exactly. And I always hope that if my partners weren't okay with something I was doing, that they would let me know. And if there was something that they need from me, that they would let me know. Because part of the communication is like, I'm not a mind reader. And like, especially for my more long distance folks, I adore them, but I don't get to see them necessarily. So if they're having a really bad day, I'm not going to necessarily just know because I see them when I get home. So how does it feel playing video games where you don't see this aspect of your lifestyle represented um well for the party girl in me who would like to make out with everyone i'm a little bummed (laughs) and for the person in me who wants to have the opportunity to build all these deep relationships um i understand that like we talked earlier about replayability value about like the fact that you can't build them all in one go it creates replayability and i understand that but also like if the only reason that I'm replaying is so that I can find out the deep relationship that I could build with like both of these beautiful characters in this game. Uh, but I also have to go through like 40 hours of grinding monster hunting. Uh, it might make me less likely to pursue it. And that's a bummer because I would love to be able to see everything the writers have made for these well-developed characters and be able to like, show them how much I like them, even in a virtual context. Does it make you enjoy the game less or even influence which games you play? Sometimes. uh, I I would say yes. Um, Sometimes I will just like 
look up Let's Plays of other plot lines rather than go back and play it myself. <laughs> because I'm I don't I'm not necessarily in persona for the grinding. I am in persona for the social links. Um and for the really great plot that's been written. And so uh yeah. They they do a pretty good job of balancing it, but other games do not, where like you have to replay exactly as you were and like I just I don't have another forty hours to spend fighting monsters when I could be playing another game with a really great plot and really cool characters that I could fall in love with. Do you think there's hope for the future to see more polyamory in video games? I think so. I think that just as like we people who are queer or non-binary or trans have slowly seen that become more represented over time. Um, I think that there's hope for polyamorous folks too, especially since a lot of us live in many of those bubbles, which means that like we are slowly making it into the realm of like video game writers and video game developers and people who get to say, Hey, there's more parts of life we haven't seen yet. There's more stuff to write about. And I hope that that helps other people. Like I would love to know that someday that someone discovered that they were polyamorous from a video game, just like, the way that I figured out that I was queer from video games. <laughs> well, now you told me you figure out polyamory from Rocky Horror. I don't want to go on too big of a tangent, but video games led you to discovering your own queerness. Kind of a lot. Like I would say a lot of media helped led me to discovering my own queerness, but like, definitely I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I romance the girls in this game because all the care main characters are boys. And that's the only reason. And then I'm like, I like, I start getting into high school and I'm like, Oh crap, I'm queer. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm romancing the girls because they're pretty and they say nice things and they like cool stuff. Wow. That is fantastic. I did not know that about you, Helene. That video games were a contributing factor to this journey in your life. Yeah, I think that they honestly helped reinforce my queer identity earlier than it would have been without video games. Well, I'm glad that video games have had such a positive effect on your life, and I hope that they continue to do so. Me too, Ken. Me too. So for those who are interested in polyamory, I mentioned some podcasts and some books, links to which will be in the show notes. Are there other places that you recommend that they go? For example, I mentioned that I had a polyamory 101 session, and that's very much localized to where I was living at the time. Not everybody may have access to that information or those opportunities. So where can they go online or at their library to find out more? Um, I find polyamory TikTok to be excellent, um, very uh, good and humorous and wholesome and shows like much more slice of life of like the daily life of a polyamorous person than you may normally see. If you just like look for the polyamory hashtag on TikTok, you'll find a lot of really great creators. Um, Poly Secure is a book that I recommend to everyone, poly or not. It is about uh, attachment style. Um, which I've mentioned a few times over the course of this podcast because it has had a really big impact on making me a better partner and a better friend to the people I care about by being better to myself. Um, and so I recommend that book to literally everyone I see. And if I see someone reading it on the train, I'm like, yes. 
Um, Making Polyamory Work is a really good podcast for kind of the daily ins and outs of things that you may encounter as a polyamorous person. They recently did a really great episode on veto power, which is a controversial topic in the polyamorous community. Um, so digging into some of those deeper topics once you have the basics and it's not quite as long form as multi-amory, which has like hour and a half long episodes that are very good. But if you don't have that level of time, they run a little bit shorter. Um, yeah. So, and then obviously like if you joined Facebook groups at all, there's a Facebook group for everything, but the Facebook groups for polyamory can be very, very sweet and wholesome and affirming, like cute pictures of people in their polycules. But also, like, great places to ask for advice when you're struggling. It's interesting to hear you recommend Facebook because Facebook generally requires that you use your real name associated with your profile. And if you are not comfortable coming out as polyamorous or if you don't want to be stigmatized by a culture that doesn't understand polyamory, then putting your real name into one of those groups, even if it's a private group, could be daunting for some folks um so a lot of them have anonymous member postings i don't know if you have ever been in a facebook group but um you can post anonymously as just group member and that's all it will show up as so if you are seeking advice or you just want to read other people's wisdom um you can put that you can put it under anonymous group member basically and you will still get notifications for all of the replies to what you asked but no one has to know it's you I did not know that. I I appreciate that Facebook offers that option. As evil as they are, I guess this is one good thing they did. Yeah, and I just find it to be a little um, more approachable for people than some of the Reddit polyamory communities. What's wrong with the Reddit polyamory communities, if I may ask? Um, Nothing is particularly wrong with the Reddit polyamory communities, but because there's just so much less of a filter on Reddit, it can get a little bit more into like the nitty gritty, like sometimes like, a little graphic on the sexual detail, things like that, that maybe you aren't looking for on your first time out of the gate into polyamory. Gotcha. And speaking of real identities online, is there anywhere online that you wish to plug for listeners who wish to follow or connect with you? Um, You can find me on Twitter at Helene Utterback, um, and you can find me on Instagram at physicsgirl250. Fantastic. If I may ask, the number 250, does that have any meaning? No, it's just a really good mathematical number, and I'm a math nerd. Well, that works for me. Well, Helene, I really appreciate you opening up (laughs) about polyamory, uh, pun not intended, but unavoidable. And, uh, you know, this this is a very personal topic for a lot of people. We've had polyamorous people on the show before but they were here to talk about other things and so we didn't get into that aspect of their lives i really appreciate you sharing this aspect of your life with our listeners so thank you Hi, you're very welcome i was so happy i could do it this has been polygamer a game bits production find more episodes read our blog or send feedback at polygamer.net And for those who don't know, what is a shadow cast? <laughs> a shadow cast is people who act out a movie in front of the movie. Uh, Rocky Horror is the most famous one.
But basically, people wear costumes that are as close to a movie replica, unless you come on like a theme night. And then they act out the movie in the audience and up front. And it's a very fun and wacky time. Uh, I would highly recommend going and seeing a shadow cast if you've never seen one. 